Welcome to Innovation Alchemy with the Adams. I'm Adam Fry. And I'm Adam Castle. And listener, I know we say this a lot, but oh you boy, are do we ever. in for a treat on this podcast. We got the chance to sit down with Jose Martins, who runs partnerships for HubSpot in North America. Now, Jose was an introverted entrepreneur and engineer, and he really had to get out of his comfort zone to learn sales and marketing. He claims that he doesn't have a sales personality at all, but has studied and learned on the field for the past 10 years, becoming a top 1% sales performer at HubSpot and becoming a sales and growth coach and mentor for startups across North America. And we get into some interesting things here. I mean, we're talking about tracking talk time on calls as a sales rep to make sure that you're talking less and listening more. Absolutely. It's all about the inside baseball here for HubSpot. They share a lot of secrets with us that they normally don't. So your listeners here, uh, you're in for something special. The other thing he goes into is he discovered that being an introvert is actually a superpower in sales. Incredible conversation around that. Something you wouldn't think about. No. And so if you're someone that's sitting out there thinking, I'm really bad at sales. I don't really enjoy talking to people a lot. I like to keep myself a little bit insular. You may have a superpower inside you that we're going to unlock using this conversation with Jose. So we hope you enjoy it. Enjoy. All right, listener, welcome to Innovation Alchemy with the Adams. Today, we're joined by Jose Martin. Jose is a mentor, coach, former entrepreneur, and now working in partnerships with HubSpot for startups. Jose, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Adams, for having me. We are so excited to have this conversation, Jose. I think you know by now that HubSpot is something oh that's my very near and dear to our hearts here. We Every take a pod. It's a, it's a almost shameless plug, except that we're not getting paid for it. <laughs> it's it's one of those types of situations. We live it. We breathe it. It's our CRM. We work with clients on it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hell of a platform. We're so excited to be talking to the team that's behind it today, or part of the team anyways. That's, that's great to hear. It was the same for me. Uh, I'm not a marketer. And so seven years ago, when I learned about HubSpot, I'm like, I wanted to either work at HubSpot or do something in the ecosystem of HubSpot because this is like a no-brainer thing everybody should be doing. Every other month, it feels like you're adding another, yeah. there's a new program, there's a new update, Tools, we've got a resources. new something or going on. It's like, no wonder you wanted to move Constant. over there. You know, would you be able to give us a little bit of your background? Where did you start, Jose? Yeah, what you got you to HubSpot? Yeah, HubSpot. We didn't start there, did we? We did not. Uh, so I came to the US about 13, 14 years ago, actually 14. And I came to do an MBA. I'm an engineer, but I wanted to go into business. I wanted to start a, a business myself. My family is an entrepreneurial family. My dad is an entrepreneur. And it's always been a chip on like inside our, I guess, my DNA to just own or start a company. So I came to hop yes. to Babson College in Boston, which is known for entrepreneurship. And the plan was uh, learn business a little bit there and also start a company, which I did. And this is uh, over a decade ago. It was a great experience. Uh, it was funny. I found my co-founder before I found the business idea. That's so, amazing. That's awesome. That's, awesome. That's uncommon. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would recommend it because you find someone who complements you well. They, they are passionate about starting a business and you have similar likes in terms of like industry problems you want to solve and you feel like you can work together well. That is a great starting point. Then it's just mm-hmm. figuring out, okay, what's a problem out there that needs solving that we can get passionate about? Sadly, we were both immigrants, and so he had to leave these visa issues, and then I stayed by myself, and I, I didn't know how to sell, so I had to just ah. right, jump into it, right? An engineer, you go to an mm-hmm. MBA, you go through a decade of studying, or I guess 20 years when 20, we started. It's got to be 20 yeah. years, right? By the time you actually graduate. Exactly, exactly. And we'll go to 20 years. How many of you do a sales course? Like, do you, do you learn sales in like college or yeah, in, the so in, in the, yeah, in the business administration programmings, right. You go through a little bit of sales tactics. I know Eric Jansen over at, yeah. at uh, Ivy's doing some great work training young sales folks, Very um, typical, like, but typically like you're not going to get that kind of stuff unless you're out there doing it. I know. And it's so different, right? Jose, like learning in a classroom about sales, okay. quote unquote, <laughs> tactics and things like that. And then, you know, what is, what's the saying Mike Tyson always had? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the yeah. face, something yeah. like that. It's yeah. one of those things when you actually get out there and you start working in the field, it's a hell of a job. That uh, Mike Tyson quote is uh, perfect for what it, what it is like to start a business, not knowing anything about sales and going out and selling. Amazing. Like you have, yeah. you read books, right? You get, you get a sense of what it is. 
Some people may have a natural, more natural inclination to it. Uh, I didn't. I'm an introvert. So ah. sales, traditional, the traditional view of sales, which is the mm -hmm. one I had a decade ago, does not fit an introvert. And so I went out and just visited clients and tried to sell, not knowing what it really was. And it was a punch in the face. It was a punch in the face. That's where I learned that if you want to be a successful entrepreneur or founder, you have to wrap your head around sales. You have to go out and gotcha. sell. You have to learn sales. You have to practice as you need to find a way to develop that skill. And I want to talk about that for a second, if you're okay, Jose, because this is something that we hear a lot from our particularly technical co-founders Yeah, um, is, you know, I'm going to go out there. I've hired this great sales guy, you know, or I've hired this person that's mm -hmm. promised me the world, or my first hire is going to be, you know, 80 grand on the senior salesperson for this startup. salesperson for some, from equity, for and, equity. Yeah. And we're going to do all this stuff and it's going to be great. And then 99% yeah. of them are sharks or, you know, 80% of them are people who come in and they're like, oh, I am not doing the work of calling a hundred people today. I just want to, you know, build the system and let it run or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit to the, I know there's obviously pain in doing that, but the value of learning that early on as a founder, particularly from the technical side, it seems like is pretty critical, at least from your opinion. Yeah. One of the founders needs to go out and sell. You cannot yeah. delegate. Yeah. You cannot delegate sales. We tried that. I tried that. Um, it's like, Hey, I recognize I'm not selling. Uh, I saw yeah. like one deal in like six months. And so, and this is B2B kind of longer cycle. Oh, so, yeah. but I would have wanted to have at least 10, right? Uh, right. In those six months. And so it's like, all right, let's find someone who wants to do sales and does, doesn't cost me much. Yep. And yeah, I couldn't find that. Like, I, I found two yeah. people, they did not sell either. Because it's really hard, even at HubSpot, and I can share a little bit more about that later, but it's really hard to sell something that is completely new. Like if you're starting a yeah, company, it's yeah, most likely point. something new, you don't have your own known. Built up. Yep. There's, a, there's a lot that's missing there in those early days, right? And so you really have to sell, you really have to build bridges and create trust and, and, and believe in what you're selling too. And, and oftentimes, you know, Jose, to your point, if you're not the founder, if you haven't started this idea and, and you haven't seen it through to, you know, from, from the very beginnings to, to launch, you're probably not the person with enough passion in order to get it across that line. To go you're not going to convince couple. me whether or not I'm going to spend money on, yeah. on a new SaaS product. Fortune 500, if you don't have exactly, the passion, yeah. you're going in to sell. And even too, I imagine knowing the blueprint so you don't get scammed by those first hires is probably pretty important too. Yeah. Like knowing the sales process, the cycles, like what people are saying, I imagine there's immense value as a founder and knowing those things firsthand. Absolutely. And there's another value too, which is when you're starting out, sales is the most transparent and quicker feedback loop okay. into what you're building. I, selling is at the early stage, especially selling is not only about the actual having someone buy what you're selling. Mm -hmm. It's about getting that immediate feedback from your ideal buyer right. on what resonates, what doesn't resonate. So you can go back and say, okay, here's how we need to modify or change or pivot our value proposition or even our product. So sales is also like just a great source of information to continue to build your company. And adding an intermediary in that feedback loop at the early stages is also not a great idea. Yeah. How did you manage the balance between product development and sales then? Because I imagine, you know, in those early days when you're having those conversations, the itch must be there to change everything about the product when you hear these mm -hmm. no's, I imagine, right? Six months, you know, the belief in the product. I imagine you're like, how did you fight against that desire to shift the product to fit whatever you're hearing? Well, luckily, we failed so quickly that we didn't have many feedback loops. And I say okay. luckily, because if you're going to fail, it's better that you do that within a year. Okay. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really hurtful if you're doing something for three or four years, and then you realize it's not going to go anywhere. But th that is a good question. Our problem back then was a problem that I don't know if many founders have today, because 12 years ago, it wasn't as common to think of this minimal viable product, or at least we didn't think that way. Okay, we right. thought yeah. the yeah, old fashioned way of like, sure. let's get this ready, let's build it and they will come. And so that you're okay. building something and it's kind of like fixed, you invested a lot on building the most complete version of you wanted to, what you wanted to sell. And then it was actually harder to iterate. Whereas, and your question is great, I think it's a very healthy approach to 
have that minimal viable mm -hmm. version of what you want to sell, or at least the, what you think the solution is for the problem you're trying to solve and just interact with the market and get that feedback and start iterating on the product. So yeah. And at the early stages, I would be as flexible as I could with product based on the feedback. The one thing that I would control for is, and this is a hard thing and it's a long topic. So maybe we can explore that a little bit more later, but in, in short, when you're, when you're building a company, you're, you're solving a problem for someone. Mm -hmm. And the best thing you can do is to have a narrow definition of who that someone is. Okay. Many companies have, many startups and founders have the issue of, well, I don't really know who I'm selling to. So I'm just going to sell to everyone. Okay. And that becomes a problem because now you're getting feedback loops from different types of buyer personas. And now your product development could become a mess because then now you're ah, trying to then you okay. start building it for different different groups well yeah. and you're i imagine you're incentivizing your salespeople in those early days with like hey the more you close the more you make or the more you close the more equity you get so they're getting all these feedback loops chasing everything they possibly can they may not and even then the, and then they're the saying to the product throwing over yeah. the shoulder of the product people i'm hearing all these things we got to change the product i need the button over here i need to move this this way we need this new feature and you're sitting there as a product team going like i who am i building this thing yeah. for right like who is this actually for at the end of the day? That's a great point. Exactly. Exactly. So, so the business you end up inevitably, you know, your, your founder leaves, you give it a go for about six months. You hire some sales folks that you inevitably it doesn't work. What leads you to HubSpot at that point? Or is it the immediate jump? Is that where you head next? It was not. So I made two decisions in the same exact moment. The two decisions were simultaneously to close the business and to get into sales. Like, okay. oh, this is not going to happen to me again. Uh, <laughs> I will never yeah, let this happen not, again. <laughs> yeah, it is a scary decision. I don't know which one was scarier, uh, closing the business or getting into sales. But I was lucky to find a startup in Seattle who had just raised their Series A. And they were hiring salespeople that had engineering background. So it was a oh. perfect fit. Okay. And so I started sales there. And I did that for a couple of years. I did one year as a rep and then, you know, as a startup grows very fast, mm -hmm. a year later, I was managing a team and then I did that for a year and that was good. That was a great experience to see how like sales works at a startup, you know, recently raised series A. So you're still trying to figure some stuff out, but then the opportunity of HubSpot came along and HubSpot for me was, okay, now I'm going to school, right? Like now... Yeah. HubSpot has a well-defined sales process, has all these methodologies, very well thought out. You're going to educate yourself in sales. This and is like so, getting the MBA yeah, in yeah, sales sort of on the ground, right? Yeah. Before we jump too, yes. too much into the early days, I'd love to know, like as a technical engineer going into that sales world, like any tips for those early sales reps at that series A company? Like I imagine that must've been just like, Hey, sink or swim, throwing you into the fire and like away we go. But like those early days is very much so still figuring it out. You, like you said, you don't have the systems defined. Perhaps you didn't even have all the automated email uh, opportunities and inbound stuff we have now <laughs> back then. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what are some of those like foundational, okay. Series one higher, maybe you're, you know, salesperson eight or nine, like what, what are some of those tips and tricks you've got there? That's a great question. So when I look at a startup in general, regardless of the role, I first look at the founders, mm -hmm. okay. especially that early on the companies, as they grow, they build like a shield okay. against like market fluctuations or unexpected events, right? Unexpected mm -hmm. events, let's say COVID, right? A huge unexpected event. COVID is a huge unexpected event. It destroys a ton of companies. Now, the thicker your shield, the less your um, survival is in jeopardy, right? Okay. So HubSpot was lucky enough that when COVID hit, we had an, enough of a shield right. to deal against unexpected events. When you're a series A startup, any unexpected event can kill you. Okay. It's major, yeah. And, and so the, one of the biggest components of a shield is your founders. Like who are, who is leading this organization? Do they really believe what they're doing? Have they done this before? Amazing. Who's backing them up? How much money do they have? Like what's the runway? Like if I'm interviewing for a startup who just raised series A, I might want to ask, okay, well, what's your runway like? And we're talking about, you have three months of runway. So I'm, I'm, am I interviewing for a role that is maybe gone in three months, but you have a one-year runway. All right. So we have a little bit more stability. Uh, so in my case, this was a company that was the second startup by a founder who was experienced. 
And this was a second startup in the same space. So oh. this, this founder had kind of already seen the movie. It was like Godfather part two. For him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. That's so great. You're, you're already working in flywheels before you get to HubSpot. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good. And then uh, I interviewed with who, the person who was going to be my sales manager. And he was an introvert as well. And that for me gave me a little bit more of a belief that I could do it because I, okay. I, this, this person is an introvert. My vision of a salesperson is you need to be an extrovert or fake being an extrovert. Okay. But now right. comes this sales manager who's also an introvert. Like, all right, so, and, and he was doing really well. And so I'm like, okay, if an introvert can make it in sales, maybe I can make it. And so that was a big part of it as well. That's awesome. I'm so curious to know what are those attributes as an introvert that you sort of turned into superpowers in sales? Because I imagine there's a lot of, there's a lot of empathy. There's a lot of sort of EQ that you've got in there that can help you to sort of really fuel this type of roles. What are some of those features that you have that you think really contributes well to that sales role or complements it? Well, I wouldn't say just, just me. I would say in general, in general, that's, that's, what I meant. Yeah. that's the evolution. That's the evolution that I've seen in sales where, 10 years ago. And my dad is of that school of 80s salesperson like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Always be closing. Very out there. Always be closing. Right. And you want the steak knives. Yeah. And and that is the 80s version of a salesperson. And not that it doesn't exist anymore. But I would argue that today we're in 2022. The introvert actually has an edge over the extrovert. Oh, in sales. Wow. Interesting. And this. the reason is. There's a ton of information out there. Like every buyer can get information about their problem and potential solutions and even vendors mm-hmm. online or through peers. Like access to information is not a problem anymore. Think about it this way. I'll use an analogy. When you were buying a TV 20 years ago, you would go into Best Buy and ask the right. rep which TV to buy. And so yep. their charisma that extrovert personality would go a long way into being a successful floor rep at a Best Buy selling TVs. Today's day and age, I do 90% of my research on which TV I should get online. I go there to maybe answer a few specific questions that I have. And so where an introvert has an advantage here is, one, an introvert is generally better at listening. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so because people have so much access to information, the real superpower of of a salesperson is not to say and communicate, is to listen and understand. And so listening and understanding is the biggest superpower a salesperson could have this day and age. And introverts generally uh, have an advantage over extroverts in that area. Uh, And the second part where it, it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, but just in terms of being successful in sales today is you need to have deeper knowledge about what you're selling. Because right. now it's not like, oh, here's in general what plasmas are and that the LCDs are or OLED. It's more about, hey, I have these very specific questions about OLED versus right. just regular LED. That is the one thing getting in the way of me buying this TV. And I already know the brand. I already know how much it costs. I just need to answer this very specific question. So reps today need to be armed with very deep knowledge about what they're selling and then be very good at listening to what is getting in the way of this buyer on actually buying what they're trying to buy? Amazing. Amazing. Really cool. And so, so we pick this up now. You leave that startup. We've got, the, we've got the HubSpot sort of interview. We want to go there. We want to get the MBA in sales effectively going to the HubSpot team. And so let's pick the thread up there. Like what, what happened in those early days at HubSpot? What was that like? Oh boy. So the early days. So I came from that startup, right? Uh, it's kind of wild west. As you said before, you're thrown in and like, yep. hey, figure it out. <laughs> we'll give you some help, right? We'll give you some advice, some coaching, but it's basically you go in and cold call. Yep, we right. were using um, Microsoft Dynamics. And I don't know if I can mention all this stuff, but we yeah. were using a CRM. Yeah. And it's not a problem of a CRM. <laughs> the problem was the founders were of the 80s version of a salesperson, which meant yeah. we were giving a ton of leads and we would just cold call incessantly until someone picked up the phone. And that is not really how people sell at HubSpot. So when you're cold calling old fashioned sales, right? What you do is you pick up the phone and you try different times. You have all these like old fashioned techniques. And when you get someone on the phone, you need to be very good at like presenting the object Mm -hmm. in a attractive way. So people are interested. Okay. 
Now you got their attention. And so now they may be engaged in a conversation. So it's very much about, can you be very good at presenting what you do? HubSpot is very different. Even if you're calling, not necessarily like an inbound generated lead, which is Mm -hmm. mostly what we would do, but even if you're calling someone that maybe was on your website, maybe read a couple of blog posts, you know, six months ago, so kind of like a warm lead, you kind of already know they have some interest. But the real major difference was you come in and you come in to ask questions and don't present your solution. You need to right. focus on the problem and not on presenting the solution. And that adjustment took a while for oh, me, yeah. about three months. And so my first three months at HubSpot were painful to the point where like, I'm, I'm going to get fired. Oh, wow. And so I just focused on, I had a great manager who I love to this day. His name is David Torres. And he said, Jose, like you're, you're worrying too much about the outputs. And this was a heritage from my previous experience itself. Like right. you have a quota, you have either hit it or miss it. That's it. And you're evaluated on hitting or missing the quota. You evaluate your sales cycle on whether you hit it or miss it and discuss that with your manager. The way of doing things at HubSpot, and this manager was really good at highlighting that, was it's all about the inputs. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's all about, okay, are you connecting with enough leads? Are you having the right types of conversations? Are you putting into the system all the inputs, the activity that you need to put so that it results in you getting to the quota? And so he said, like, don't worry about selling, worry about the inputs. Let's work on the input. Let's reach out to X number of leads a day. Let's yep, create right. X number of net new opportunities every day. Like for me, it was two net new opportunities every day. And so I wouldn't worry about selling. I wouldn't worry about quota. I would just worry about creating two net new opportunities every day. And so the first month, I still didn't correct course because I was kind of building that pipeline. And I didn't see it. And he said, like, trust me, if you keep building pipeline, if you keep putting the inputs, it's going to be okay at the end. And so at the six-month mark, I had my first kind of really good month. And then from then on, it would just slide out. To the wow, point that I became cool. like number like top five reps at, on all of HubSpot globally, number one rep in emerging markets so like Am and APAC. But it was a matter of understanding that the key to sales was creating healthy pipeline mm-hmm. and understanding, trusting that that is the leading action that results in sales and not worry so much about where am I in terms of close one deals this month. That's amazing. I have goosebumps. Like I, I yeah. think like how important is it to have a manager that believes it like drinks the Kool-Aid effectively, right? Like it sounds like you've got like a, a management system there. Oh, that's yeah. very much like, Hey, we're here to produce people forever. Like we're not having people come in here, compete. You're shredded after three months. If you don't hit your quota, you're on pips all the time. Like it's like, okay, are we doing the fundamentals? Mm-hmm. Right? Like practice what we preach. Right. Because that's HubSpot sales blog. You're putting out, you know, every, whether it's a week or a month, I forget which one we follow along is like, this is what they're preaching. Right. Yeah. And so to practice it internally is, is so amazing. You know, would this be a good chance for us to take a little bit of a break? We come back, maybe we chat a little bit about inside sales, what that means, that total shift towards that. We talk about some tools and tactics that help you get to that number one rep spot. And then maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's next. Does that sound good? Yeah. See you on the other side. If you're a startup founder looking to scale your business to unicorn status and beyond, look no further than the highly rated, easy yet powerful CRM and marketing platform HubSpot. Better yet, qualifying founders can get up to 90% off a subscription. Go to HubSpot.com slash startups to learn more. That's HubSpot.com slash startups. Right, listeners, we're back with Jose Martin. Jose, you've taken us through the amazing beginnings of your career, uh, the startup, the failures, and then the amazing climb at HubSpot that you went through and, and your sort of masterclass that you took in sales. Let's dive into inbound sales because I think there's a lot of talk about sales in general and people don't often know the difference between what am I looking at inbound, outbound, how do you sort of define it? And we really want to dive into inbound today. That's what HubSpot does best. That's what your team does best. And we want to get all of that knowledge out of your brain and into our listeners' ears. So let's dive in with that. Tell us about inbound sales. What does that look like for a typical business today? That's a great segue 
what we were speaking about before and then talking about inbound and inbound sales in specific. So inbound in general, uh, there's actually a great a book I like a lot by my mentor, Dan Tire, uh, Inbound Organization. And it talks about inbound from many aspects, right? From the aspect of, of marketing and sales, which is what we're going to talk about now. And like even the, your finance, your accounting, like how does your entire organization build around a core with the core of your, your buyer persona? You have your buyer persona, and then you're trying to build around that. Uh, so like true customer-centric organization. So inbound sales is part of that. Inbound sales, I, I think it's hard for inbound sales to live without inbound marketing. Mm-hmm. And so to take a step back, I think the best way to understand inbound is by contrast, and it's by contrast with outbound. Okay. So outbound is what you would experience if you grew up a child in my time. Okay. So okay. when I when I grew up and I was watching cartoons, I had to watch ads ads for toys in the Christmas time or in the holidays time. I had to I watch, still remember watch ads half for the songs from my childhood. Yeah, you are, a jing- yeah. Right? you are a jingle forward. Yeah, There's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Right. So compare that to the experience of my two daughters. They have never seen an ad in their lives. <laughs> they <laughs> watch Netflix. Everything. They watch Disney Plus, right? They, they just pick a show. So they just wake up, turn on the TV and they pick the show they want to watch and click play and mm-hmm. watch it straight up. And they can binge watch. They can watch five episodes in a row if I let them. In my time, I would turn on the TV and say, okay, what's on? Yes. And it could be started already. And then I would have to watch ads in the middle. So ads is a, a tangible representation of what the outbound world means. Is a company getting in the middle of your day, like interrupting your day, getting in front of you, getting in front of you enough times until you like kind of start remembering that name. Cold call is like and, a good example of this, right? You just go, 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 go until you finally get someone to pick that phone up. Exactly. So sales, outbound sales is kind of that same world that you just described. It's interrupting, right? So someone calls you at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Right. Regardless, right? The <laughs> only reason, the only reason you're being called is maybe someone knows you, Adam, have a podcast and they have some sort of product or solution for podcast hosts or podcast shows. Right. And so they know demographically you fit a person that would buy their product. That's the only reason you're being called. That's outbound. That's outbound marketing. That's outbound sales. That's the outbound organization I have. I think from the inside out, I have Mm. a product I want to sell. I have someone I want to sell. You have this idea of campaigns in sales, like, oh, let's sell to B2B. Let's sell to this industry. Let's call all the companies that fit this X criteria. And let's just start calling all those people. So inside out. Inbound is the opposite. So this is why I said understanding inbound is helpful in contrast. Inbound is the opposite. It's from the outside in. So what you do is you build enough assets that are floating around and whoever is attracted to it will just latch to it. You pull people in. So this is this could be content. This could be just social media, just interacting with yeah. social media. So the idea is as a inbound sales rep, you're trying to identify who's showing interest or showing a need for what you do, mm-hmm. right? This could be because they interact with your marketing assets. So that's a result of your inbound marketing. And right. then that feeds into your inbound sales leads. Or as an inbound salesperson, you just watch online what's going on. So the main difference between an inbound salesperson and an outbound salesperson at the early stage of a sales process, which is the identification stage. So I'm identifying who is the prospect that I'm going to talk to. And so the outbound sales, they don't identify based on activity. They identify based on some demographic. The inbound sales identifies based on activity, right? They visited my website. They downloaded a blog post. They are posting in social media a question. They are sharing on their website some news that gives a sense of they might need what I have. So the main question an inbound salesperson answers in their own head is why you, why now, right? Okay. If you're right. a prospect, I am a sales rep. The question I answer to myself before I reach out to you is why am I reaching out to you? Why am I reaching out to you now? What is the excuse that I have to contact you and to contact you now? What happened to give me that permission? So that's the first big difference between inbound sales and the legacy way of doing sales. 
So and if we keep, th- yeah, go ahead. You talked a little bit there. I just, I don't want to lose the thread really quickly while it's in mm-hmm. my head. You talked a lot there about, you know, uh, inbound marketing and inbound sales needing to work really well together. Obviously there's a lot of data that comes through for you to learn what kind of content works, how to shape your sales emails and things like that. And I'm sure we'll get to that later in the conversation, but for me, I just want to know how do you manage that relationship between inbound marketing and inbound sales at HubSpot? Like, is this something where you're putting people in pods together? Are there like, how, how do you merge them in a meaningful way? Because at, at the, I was an early stage employee at a startup called textbooks for change. And one of the ways we did it was we actually made marketing and sales sit together. So marketing could hear the calls and sales could work with the, the actual email. I mean, much, much smaller version of what you're working on, but like, how does that happen at HubSpot? That's a great question. So it happens by what we call an SLA, right? A service level agreement between marketing and sales. Now, this does not live in a bubble. This this agreement does not exist in a bubble. It's not like our marketing team and our sales team gets together and negotiate. It's, again, if we go back to the core is the buyer, is understanding at what point a buyer is giving enough signals that they need to engage the sales team versus what sort of signals are more indicative of someone who's not ready to speak with sales? So that's okay. how we build our service level agreement. Because again, going back to inbound, there are two common misconceptions with inbound. One is inbound sales can only be done with inbound marketing leads, right? Okay. I would work with companies and, and customers at HubSpot mm-hmm. and say, hey, I am not selling because I can't reach out to anyone because no one has converted on my marketing assets. So I don't have inbound leads yet. I'm like, no, that's a mistake. You need to answer the question, why you, why now? There are many different ways to find who might need your help and have that permission to reach out. It's not only an inbound marketing lead activity. Okay. So that's first misconception. Second misconception is a lead generated by inbound marketing is automatically an inbound sales lead. Not true. Someone comes into your website and subscribes to the newsletter and you can track this, right? If yep. you have a CRM like HubSpot, you can track, okay, how many sites visit? So one website visit and in that website visit, they ended up signing up to the newsletter. That's the only activity you have. You cannot consider that an inbound lead that a sales team can work. Right. What is the evidence that this person is ready to engage with the sales team? They just okay. subscribe to a newsletter. It's kind of like I'm in a bar right? Let's say, let's turn back time. I'm single again, right? (laughs) And I go to a bar, I meet someone and I like that someone. And we engage in a conversation. Two minutes into the conversation, I ask them to marry me. (laughs) I would seem nuts. It's the same thing in sales, right? Why would you start selling to someone who subscribed to your newsletter? That's not enough. So with that, too much, too soon. So that's the other misconception. Not just because someone gave you their email once means you have permission to sell. So with that in mind as a context, then that's the foundational thinking behind how we build that SLA. So what we do is we define what are the characteristics of a lead that is ready to engage with sales. So it's the amount of activity and it's the type of activity. And of course, with data and tracking and and knowing where things lead, we may adjust this with time, but we have what we call a lead scoring system. Okay. So certain actions have more value certain actions have less value. If you have enough actions that get to a certain threshold of, let's say points, it's almost like a point system, then that means, let's say you have 80 points. Once you have 80 points, that means you're a marketing qualified lead that can be rotated to the sales team. Okay. So you've actually, you actually have this broken down right to a science based on the data. It's like these, this is the exact definition of a marketing qualified lead. Now, my question to you would be in those early stages, when you sort of contrast that with your experience in an early stage startup, should you just be calling everyone that signs up for the newsletter anyways, or is it still good to have these, this thought process and this intention around going and and doing this the right way? Because I imagine with our early stage startups, every time there's even one activity, even if your lead score was 0.5, they are running through a brick wall to get in front of you and talk to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or is it a sign that you need to build up more assets? Exactly, more, so more like, of that marketing I, Can asset I build piece? in more assets so that, that we get them higher points or that yep. we, you can build into that part of the process? Well, so, so then you take other stuff into the equation. So like for okay. HubSpot that has so many assets, part of the component is number of activities, right? So okay. we have okay. so many assets. 
All right, so let's discard that because you're a startup. You don't have like 10 site visits and five downloads and whatever, like 10 right. different types of activity. Let's say you only have one. Well, like, then you focus on what is the actual activity. Is it subscribed to a newsletter or is it clicking on talk to sales? Okay, gotcha. Right? So, and this would happen early days of HubSpot. Early days of HubSpot, if you clicked quest a demo, that's immediate the sales team is going to call you. Okay. That's not the case today. Oh, that's really? not enough. No. That's not enough points. If you say, Even the book of demos, not enough points to get to the sales team. That's incredible. Request a demo. If you only visited our website once and there's no other activity, you just went straight up to request a demo. That is not a great sign action. Okay. <laughs> uh, like from a very selfish point of view, if you're a sales rep, this person, this lead has not shown you enough right. intention for you to think this person is serious about buying. This is just someone who's curious. Okay. Uh, I'll give you an example in a different industry. So I used to work with auto dealerships. Okay. Auto dealerships will have this problem. They will tell me, my problem is not generating leads. My problem is understanding which of these leads are people who are curious mm-hmm. or people who are serious about buying. Like my boss, when I started my career, he loved the car Audi. And he would go every day to the Audi website and learn more about the Audi A4, which was <laughs> the car of his dreams. Every day, he had a thousand website visits, right? But the problem in certain industries is you have so much curious people. It's the same thing in like universities, right? right. How many yep. people log into like yep. Harvard and MIT to see what, what, they're, what they're doing or, or University of Toronto, right? So for them, the trick is to embed a, almost to put like a wall between accessing sales and, and just learning about what the company has to offer. So in one of the cool tricks for auto dealerships with inbound marketing and understanding which leads are ready for sales was not only download the brochure, but after you download the brochure, you get an email, I think it was two days later, asking if you want to speak with a sales representative. Ah, there you go. There's your trigger point. So now you're saying, okay, not just because you downloaded the brochure, I'm going to reach out to you because I get a thousand leads a day that way, of which 950 are at bad, 50 are good. You don't know which one is which. Okay. So that answers your two questions too, right? Why you, why now? Why you, you downloaded the brochure. Why now you responded to an email that we had in a cadence for you two Mm -hmm. days later. Okay. Ping, here we go. Inbound sales lead, right? Why you, why now? If you can check both those two boxes, you're going to be in really good shape. I, I do want to take some time, Jose, and get, get a sense of like, what are you seeing in inbound sales? What are the shifts? What are some of the new tools? Like, I know the pandemic's really changed a lot of things in sales. And so I'm curious from your perspective, where do you see this going? What's changing right now? What are some of those pieces that you see? It's a good question. So there are a few things that are changing superficially. Okay. And, and I don't mean that as, as, it, as it, they're not important changes, but they're on the surface of what sales are. Okay. There are some changes in technology, mm-hmm. which are really good. Uh, it's good for everyone. It's good for the sales team because it makes them less, um, more efficient and effective. And it's good for the buyer because it, you get less annoyance from the sales team. Okay. And then there are like core sales stuff that are not changing at all. Like I don't think they will ever change, uh, but they're becoming maybe more important as time goes by and the pandemic maybe has highlighted these. So on the superficial level, like on the surface, the outer area of what sales are, things that I've noticed with, especially during the height of the pandemic, was empathy as the number one differentiator for any human being, but for a sales rep. Empathy was number one. Uh, Empathy became the number one trait that a successful rep would have. Because a lot of people were going through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some lighter, some tougher. People were losing jobs. My sister lost her job. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, someone in my family died of COVID. And a lot of people had these, right? Some people were working from home, but they had a great setup for it. Some people were working from home with a terrible roommate yeah. and they were both in sales. So they were both talking all the time in front of each other in like a small table, very, very, very different setups. So recognizing that everybody was dealing with a lot of different stuff during the pandemic required a lot of empathy. One tangible way of putting this is the ideal prospecting sequence in my first four years 
ad hoc spot where the two day follow up, right? Once okay. you have the YUI now and you're trying to reach out to someone, the one true reality in sales most of the times is that most prospects, even when interested, they won't reply to your connection the first time. Okay. So there is still this repeatability. You still need to have that cadence. It still needs to be strong. Exactly. So you need to reach out more than once. And so what HubSpot through years learned as like an almost ideal process is a two-day follow-up. So you would send, let's say, an email today. I would send you the second email two days later. Okay. With the pandemic, you had to expand that a little bit because no one was answering emails that quickly. Yeah. Didn't you notice that you were getting like double or triple or more the amount of email you were getting before the pandemic? Oh, wild. Oh, yeah. yeah, wild amount more. So that's where empathy comes in. Realizing that and so adjusting to the new reality of the customer. So empathy was number one. Uh, and then inside sales became way more important. Okay. Right? Um, even in industries that traditionally did outside sales, like people just go out and go on site to visit customers, that was not happening. And so you needed to sell from your desk through Zoom. Ah, right. And so that is a that is a different setup. Now your charisma, right, is a different skill set. Yeah, and you're Zoom, relying on different muscles, right? To, to yeah, get I the think same too, like it, it sounds to me like there would have been probably an unfair advantage to those that were willing to pick the phone up likely in the pandemic, right? Like, I, I mean, you might've had a bit of an auto correction to like, okay, my emails aren't coming through. Maybe I should add a voicemail call script to this, or, you know, maybe I should bring LinkedIn into my repertoire a little mm-hmm. bit more, right. To find a new unique way to empathetically reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I know you're probably crazy swamp. Just wanted to reach out to you to let you know that, you know, we're still interested in doing this deal or something along yeah. those lines. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, inside sales becoming more important. Empathy as the key differentiator, and, and probably I'm biased here, but I would say because you're doing inside sales, because you're going through sales motions a lot through like Zoom and you know from your desk, tend to think, and you're doing this all day, right? We yeah, start oh my goodness, this yeah. term Zoom fatigue, right? Everybody oh. has heard of this. You never heard yeah. of this before COVID. Yeah. No, you would. Well, you barely even heard of Zoom before COVID, I think. Right. Like, I mean, even from from our perspective as a as a service uh, provider example, like we shifted from probably having maybe four or five client client interactions a day to like our needs being like ours. Yeah. Adam Zoom call Adam Zoom um, Zoom room was open for like 12, 13 hours a day. And like our clients who needed us at the time we that they did during the pandemic, they would just take that time. And so like that Zoom fatigue, man, holy moly. And talk about lack of empathy, like staring mm-hmm. at a computer screen and expecting it to be a human being. Oh, it's, it's There's just no yeah. way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are you okay? Are you safe? Do you feel safe? Can you talk? How's your family? Yeah. Right. Basic stuff. But then think about that Zoom fatigue, what you just described and imagine going into your 10th Zoom call of the day and you have on door A, traditional sales rep who's used to the extrovert who's used to filling the conversation right, yeah. and talking, leading by talking versus uh, door B, the inbound, or I guess, I guess the introvert who sits and listens yep. and just goes straight, like, tell me what's wrong. I'm here to listen, let it out. And let's yeah. figure it out. Who would you rather have when you're <laughs> super deep? Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Holy moly. Right. So the, the introvert, I believe had got an edge during the height of the pandemic. Not to say that the extrovert qualities are not important. They're really, yeah. really important. I would just say during the pandemic and to your question, the ability to listen became way important to, to influence or I guess to feel conversation and, and, and have that charisma of an, an extrovert that you would equate to an extrovert person. So that's what changed with the pandemic. And the thing that doesn't change with anything is the core of sales. The core of sales is you're helping your prospect go through answering three questions, or I guess it's four. It's like one, one B, and then two and three. One and one B is why change and why not? Yep. Yep. Right. You're going through your life. If everything's going okay, just keep, why change? keep going. Right. Yeah. Why change? Why now? First question for you as a rep, important to understand for the prospect, super important to understand. No reason to change. That's okay. Keep being happy. There's no need to complicate our lives right. and invest time in this. But that's the one. Why change? Why now? If there's a re- compelling reason to change, and that's what the rep should uncover, I'll help uncover with the, the prospect. The question is, 
what do you change to? Hmm. That's number two, right? And then if you agree that what they should change to and you believe too, they would change to is what you can do. Then the final question is, well, would you, would you want to do that with, right? Let's say you, yeah. you, you need to change the way you're doing sales. You need to be more connected online with customers. Right. And so because why change? Because your sales are going down, your profitability is going down, your company is going to disappear in one year if you don't mm-hmm. change the way you go to market. Great, you need to change. Should you be doing inbound marketing? Let's say the answer is yes. Should you use a CRM? Should you be doing online marketing? Then the final question, the third one is, well, should you do that with HubSpot? Okay. But if, if I'm talking of these examples with HubSpot, right. should you do that with HubSpot? Should you do that with other tools, right? Should mm-hmm. you do like MailChimp and PipeDrive and, and, and you know, Sendesk and all that stuff? Or should you do it with HubSpot? So that's the final question. That's usually the less relevant. That's the core of sales. Why change why now? To what? And then why should you do that with me? That's it. That's that it. will not change with anything. That might be the most valuable four questions that our clients will ever hear on this podcast. Yeah. I'll, I'll being quite honest with you, Jose, our, our startups struggle with this part of the sales process. They really, really do. They battle getting to market. They battle how to do this part. They do want to sort of just call everybody on the planet yeah. and figure out who the heck's going to buy this thing. And I think it's it's uh, intimidating. It's an intimidating piece of- oh, Incredibly. So, yeah, it's right? an intimidating no piece of the buzz, business to tackle if, you, if you're young, if you've never done it before, if you've not faced a lot of rejection in your life, right. it's a hard thing to do. And so, Jose, with that in mind, what are some of those big tips? Like, what are those pieces of technology you recommend people are using? What are some of those tricks? What are the tips for us to sort of like get a real great cap on this conversation? Absolutely. So I'll start with, and, and we alluded to this in the beginning, is half, and, and I'm, I'm focusing on like, I'm focusing on startups, but this yeah. could apply to, to any type of company. One is narrow your ideal buyer persona, narrow okay. it, yeah. like, uh, like nail it and narrow it have a really good understanding of what it is, document it, but make sure it's narrow enough. Okay. As hard as sales is, it's harder if you're trying to understand the types of conversations you could have with prospects, mm-hmm. if the prospects are very different. If you have the conversation with the same type of prospect a lot of times, eventually it's almost like it's almost like the conversation slows down for you. Of course. Okay, so I love that. Because so you many know times, you know what's coming next. You know how to handle it a little better. Maybe you've talked to some mentors about how to handle the, you know, the the ways that folks are combating you on these things. You know, I really like that. Like, it's almost like a sport analogy, right? Okay. The sport just slows down for you. You see, like in I'm hockey, surprised. for instance, like I was a goalie, and like they used to say all the time, like the the game slows down, the puck gets slower, the better you get. Exactly. It's exactly like sports. Sales in that regard is exactly like that, where you do the same conversation enough times, it starts slowing down. It's almost like, you know, oh, this is where they're going and uh, this is what they're going to say next. Yep. And, and that's not to say that is an opportunity for you to be manipulative, but, also, but more so than to understand, okay, this is where, here's how I can help them. Yep. Um, so yes, ideal buyer profile, the narrower, the better, and then nail it iterate with time. So that's number one. Number two is understand the status quo of your customer. Okay. Right. What I mean, there's a great, great resource on the web. I'll find it and I'll send it to you over email and okay. share with, with speakers the later. There are three questions that I love. It's like, what's your, once you have your ideal buyer, what is their status quo? When they're going through what they go through, what are they usually doing? That is not yeah. right, okay. right. What's their current status quo? Yeah. And then the other two questions are, what would be a compelling reason for them to change the way they're doing things? Mm-hmm. And what is a reason that they would not change even if they knew that what they were doing was not the right thing? Okay. That's the hardest thing for a, an engineering type of person to understand the illogical, the irrational behavior of human beings, but it's very true. People, even if they know that's not the right thing to do, they'll still keep doing it because something gets in the way of changing. Yeah. I mean, whether it's pain, whether it's pressure, whether it's that dreaded quote, we've always done it this way. You know, there's always, always things that get in the way, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you understand those three things, then you have a better chance of understanding how you can help navigate these conversations with prospects and understand where you cannot help. That's a very okay. valuable part of, of sales. It's, it's not really about selling to people who 
don't need what you have. That's terrible, actually. It's terrible for them, it's terrible for them, it's terrible for your business. Is that customers who should not be your customers tend to be unprofitable customers and okay. tend to right. be people who would actually be detractors in the market for you. So you should avoid signing customers who are not your ideal customers at all costs. Okay. Uh, so that will help. And the other thing is that there's a lot of tech that can help you with sales. And, and I know, I'm, you know, I, I know I may seem biased, but I think CRMs are crucial for a well-organized sales machine, um, mm -hmm. understanding, documenting, measuring what's working and whatnot, iterating on process. That's very valuable. One semi-new tech in sales that I really, really like is called conversation analytics. And so one, one we use at HubSpot is Gong, G-O-N-G.io, and I'm not being paid to, to yeah. say their name. <laughs> no I just love what they do. Like if I didn't work at HubSpot, I might want to work there. And what they do is they record your conversations with prospects. Uh, let's say this conversation we're having on Zoom, uh, we, we could record it. And then it would tell me stuff like, how much time did I speak? Like, what's the share of the conversation? And if I'm a rep, I want that to be under 50% for sure. I want it to be around 35, 40%. I want the prospect to be the one talking. It's Amazing. their problem right. we're trying to solve. There's other stuff like, you know, how many questions do you ask per hour? The more questions you ask per hour, the better consultative sell, seller you are. Mm. So sales uh, conversation analytic tools are very helpful to understand opportunities for improvement in how you conduct yourself or how does your team conduct themselves during a sales conversation with a prospect. Really cool. So your, your reps that have that must really trust the process. I mean, I mm -hmm. could imagine how much anxiety inducement that would get to get that report. Like you said, in those first three months, when you're trying to transition from that old school sales, like outbound, I'm going to push this thing to you and I'm going to find you where you're at and then go to this where it's like, Hey, your stats are showing you are talking way too yeah, much yeah, on these conversations. You are not asking enough questions. Da, da, da. Like that must have been just like running into a brick wall. Like, holy moly, they do it different here. And this is really neat. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Well, Jose, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I, I know we say this, I feel like every time on our pod, but that was one of the most insightful conversations oh, yeah. around sales. I really think I've ever had, and I've had a lot of them. So I really, yeah. really genuinely appreciate you being here. That was such a great conversation. Yeah. I think it was oh, so great you. to see yeah. sort of things from a microscopic lens of, yeah. you know, you've had boots on the ground and then the telescope too, of, of now seeing sort of a whole industry and how sales is evolving and what an awesome conversation. We're so appreciative for you to be here today. And Nina as well, who connected us. Uh, she's our HubSpot rep in Toronto for HubSpot Canada. Uh, we're very thankful to her as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jose. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. What a great episode I mean, that was. Holy chalk full of information. What a good conversation. Who knew that you could use AI to track some of these metrics for conversations like that? And not only that, it matters. Like It's not just a matter that they've got the AI to do it. They're actually tracking these things and getting better outcomes just learning to listen more to the customers oh, sure. when you're on the call. And the customers are happier because of it. It's doing a net social good by listening more. Such a cool piece of technology and, and what a great application for it. And Adam, there was a lot of stuff in here. So if our rock star producer, John Mark Vashon, were to store those for the listeners, where might they find that? You can find it at wetech-alliance.com slash podcasts inside the Innovation Alchemy Toolbox. There will be tons of information and all of the tools and tips that Jose spoke to us about during today's episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.